Please join the Weekly Standard for an important policy forum hosted in conjunction with Concerned Veterans for America and the Manhattan Institute on the morning of August 7th at the Harvard Club in New York City. Entitled Liberty versus Security, What is the Right Post-9-11 Balance in America? This free breakfast forum will feature an expert discussion on the subject of how we as Americans can strike the proper balance between our guaranteed individual liberties and the need for collective national security in a dangerous world. This event will feature remarks and discussion from Congressman Peter King, John Stossel, host of Stossel on Fox News Channel, and William Crystal of the Weekly Standard, followed by an expert panel discussion. There is no charge to attend the event, and breakfast will be served. Space is limited and filling quickly, so please RSVP today to ensure participation in this event. To register to attend Liberty vs. Security, please click the link below the podcast. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us is Steve Hayes, writer extraordinaire for the Weekly Standard, and of course we see him on Fox all the time. Steve, i got to ask you the question. Who's having the most vicious internecine warfare right now? The Clintons and the Wieners or Rand Paul and Chris Christie? <laughs> well, I think that the tougher uh, barbs are being exchanged between Rand Paul and, and Chris Christie. Uh, the, the, the Clinton Wiener um, thing is all anonymous sources and sort of behind the scenes, and and I don't think it's likely to have much of an impact on Hillary Clinton's you know presidential run in 2016. I think we're going to look back on on this aspect of it, and people won't remember uh, Huma Abedin f- for anything other than the fact that she's a Hillary Clinton advisor, if that's in fact what she becomes. Anthony Weiner's not going to be the mayor of New York. She's going to disappear from the headlines, and I don't think this actually has much of a long-term effect on Hillary. Well, what about the Rand Paul-Chris Christie uh, conversation? Is that going to have a long-term effect? You know, it's interesting. I think it's been, it's obviously been a debate that's been taking place largely behind the scenes or underground or however you want to put it, um, you know, between what I think would be called the non-interventionist wing of the Republican Party and the the more hawkish uh, Republicans. I think that that the the shorthand, though, on this Chris Christie versus Rand Paul doesn't exactly cover the scope of views in the Republican Party, the conservative movement. I mean, remember Chris Christie in the comments that that sort of kicked this whole thing off, you know, criticized Rand Paul for some of his views and called, you know, libertarianism on national security policy uh, dangerous. But he also then went on to defend President Obama and his prosecution of the war on terror. Uh, there are a whole lot of Republicans who would not be with Chris Christie on, on that, uh, who think that the president hasn't done a good job on the war on terror, basically hasn't fought the war on terror vigorously enough. So I think you, you rather than the two camps that the sort of mainstream media shorthand would suggest Republicans and conservatives are divided into, I think it's much, much more complicated with a, a whole half of the, the sort of right side of the, the political spectrum uh, being left open between Rand Paul, who's criticizing President Obama from the left, Chris Christie, who's criticizing Rand Paul but defending President Obama, and then everybody else. But, you know, there is this question of whether or not the Republican Party, because it's an ideology-based party as opposed to an identity politics-based party, which many would argue that the Democratic Party is, can survive if you have wide gaps. I mean, on the one hand, I mean, I agree with you that there, 
that Chris Christie is, is way out there by defending President Obama. But, you know, uh, uh, John McCain and uh, Linz, uh, 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 Lindsey uh, Graham, they're very strongly supportive of the NSA expanded surveillance. It's almost I don't know of any limits on the surveillance that they would support. There seems to be a, 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 some space there between the you got to be kidding me wing of the Rand Paul part of the party and the spy on everybody wing. Yeah, look, I, I think I think you and I are basically making the same point. Um, you're making it better in, in, in a more shorter <laughs> time frame than I am. I, I think that's exactly right. It's a much more sort of uh, complicated picture than many are making it out to be. I mean, you know, you have, yeah, you know, I generally, I guess, would agree, probably agree with Lindsey Graham and John McCain on matters of national security more than, than uh, you know, I would with Rand Paul, but... I have strong disagreements with John McCain on enhanced interrogation, on Guantanamo, on what to do in Syria right now, on pulling back funding in Egypt right now. I mean, you can go down the line, and I think we've got, we've got sort of an, a national security landscape that, um, in, in many ways, defies sort of traditional um, ideological uh, buckets that, that sure. the media like to put. Uh, people in particularly like to put conservatives in. You know, it's funny because I find the entire conversation frustrating because President Obama has done Republicans a huge favor. He has left the goal unattended and uh, on two major issues. One is the comment about phony scandals, which I think hits a lot of people, not just Republicans, the wrong way. And then now his yeah. so-called grand compromise on taxes, which is, Let's raise taxes. Let me spend some more money. And so I I take it back. Not only is he leaving the goal undefended at the ice, he's up in the stands kicking the fans in the shins, and the Republicans are on the ice fighting each other. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Yeah, it it is certainly uh, eating up a lot of the media oxygen. But, of course, the media like to cover Republicans fighting Republicans. I mean, that's naturally going to be something that that I think draws their attention. And to be fair to the media, they like to cover Democrats fighting Democrats as well. I mean, anytime there's that intra-party conflict, I think uh, it's something that will, will draw draw eyeballs or draw draw viewers. Um, yeah, I think the White House is doing this deliberately, and, and it looks like their, uh, their plan could work. I mean, I think they have basically a two-part plan. Maybe it gets more complicated as we move forward. But their first was to declare the scandals over and phony, and the second was to launch some kind of a something that they could call a grand bargain um, and get basically positive press for reaching out to Republicans. The audience for, for this sort of dual component uh, strategy is not necessarily the you know, voters at large, but I think it's, it's much more targeted. I think it's the Washington press corps. And I think this was a way of the administration of the White House signaling to reporters who I think are are pretty sympathetic with the, the policy goals of the White House and, and where the president wants to, to go, they're basically telling them, look, you've had your time on these scandals. We don't think they're scandals, and in any case, they're done. Now we're going back to, to real governing and big, big arguments on, on you know, grand bargains and debt ceiling and continuing resolution, and this is what we should be talking about. It's almost like they're trying to shame reporters into covering what the White House wants them to cover, rather than covering these uh, scandals, and I think three of the four you know, big things we've spent the past six months talking about are indeed scandals. Uh, they're trying to get them to, in effect, believe that that they're over. When when 
it's pretty clear that there are many questions on any of a number of these scandals that haven't been answered yet. Well, you know, that's an interesting take that the audience for this uh, phony scandals line is the Washington press, but the Washington press has very few votes. Meanwhile, out in the normal world, the average person, when you give them just two sentences on Benghazi, they go, holy crap. When you give them just three sentences on the IRS, they go, that's just wrong. They don't, buy, they, they don't believe that the scandals are phony. Why wouldn't the Republicans be seizing phony scandals as a mantra and be pouring out into their home districts this August and going out on TV and saying and, and again and again, laying out that this is what the president calls phony, four dead Americans. This is what the president calls phony, his hand-picked IRS attorney meeting with the people who uh, uh, you know, abused taxpayers who just wanted to get together and get involved in politics. Why wouldn't they do that, Steve? Well, I think they should be. I mean, I don't think there's any question. I mean, if you look forward... To, to the debates that we're likely to have this fall and then over the next year into the 2014 elections, the Republicans should be focusing on exactly those scandals, and in particular, as you suggest, the unanswered questions. I mean, there are still so many unanswered questions about Benghazi, which has been, you know, almost, almost a year. It's been right. 11 months now. Uh, there are so many unanswered questions about what happened with respect to IRS targeting of conservatives and all sorts of uh, I interesting ways that I think Republicans and conservatives can raise these questions and demand answers. I mean, I think taxpayers should get answers to these questions, whether the White House wants them to or not. But I would expect there to be a, a, a big d discussion. Republicans are going to try to push a big discussion of those issues. And then I think there's yet another split in the Republican Party. And that split involves how much to talk about Obamacare. Mm -hmm. You have, you know, certainly the people who are making the argument, like Mike Lee and, and Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio, to defund Obamacare, want to make Obamacare the centerpiece of the Republican campaigns in 2014 and a major topic of discussion. Until then, I think you have another group that wants to uh, derail Obamacare, to use John Boehner's word, has different uh, sort of tactics in order right. to do that. But still, the, the end goal is is basically the same. And then I think you have a, a third group, and I don't quite know how large a group this is on Capitol Hill. You have a third group that basically I would call the defeatists, who basically say he's going to be president until 2016. Uh, he, he's never going to sign anything that would take a chunk out of Obamacare, so there's really no use in even trying, in even making the argument. And who, I, you know, I just don't agree with this. Who, yeah, so who do you think has the best argument, the confronters, the derailers, or the defeaters? I would say that derailers ha have the best argument. Uh, you know, there was a very good piece uh, on the Weekly Standard website by Jeffrey Anderson making the argument that the real case that should be made is one of delaying the key components of Obamacare, the individual mandate, the exchange subsidies, rather, rather than, than pushing to defund. But having said that, I have to say uh, I disagree with some of my conservative uh, colleagues who think that this, uh, that the Mike Lee... Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio effort has done more harm than good. I think it's done more good than harm, in part because it's focused attention on this question of what Republicans are going to do about Obamacare. And I think it's made leadership in both the, the Senate and the House have to think about a real strategy that would stall the implementation of Obamacare. We're at this moment now where you're seeing the president's strongest supporters, the supporters of, of Obamacare, uh, you're seeing states saying that they can't possibly uh, make the exchanges work in time. Georgia asked for a, a, a delay or an extension 
today, you're seeing all of these problems with the implementation of Obamacare, many of which conservatives predicted before it, 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 it even passed. And you have some in the Republican Party who are saying, in effect, yeah, we, we really shouldn't be talking about this. This is a, a fight that, that we lost. I think that's just a crazy argument to make. And I don't think that's where leadership in, in the Senate and House is. Uh, but there are, I think there are people in, in both chambers making that argument to leadership. Steve Hayes, thanks so much for your time here on the Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.